0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 90 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me for a very special episode this week is Daniel Aaron Dilger. Hey,
0: thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. So, how are things with you? Pretty good. We're um, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. There's a huge storm coming in this weekend. It's supposed to be... Looks looks quite ominous and dangerous. Looks like angry angry green smoke coming at us from the radar. <laughs> like there's a big <laughs> Samsung Galaxy Note coming right at us. Oh no!
1: Well, I, I hope you weather that well, and I, I hope that all of our listeners who are on the East Coast and suffered the effects of Hurricane Matthew are doing all right. Um, these th- these kinds of things are not small, and it's easy to to ignore them when they don't happen to you. But it's it's important, and we uh, we think about all of our listeners. Yeah, we're getting hit from both sides. i um, going to do a quick ad read here. Have you ever heard of a software called Boom for Mac? Sounds familiar. Okay, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, this is a piece of software that addresses the, the system volume for the, uh, the, the loudness setting for your Mac. And, and basically, we all use our Macs differently, right? But everyone has speakers built in, and everyone listens through those speakers at some time. Have, have you ever felt like you needed a little bit more out of your, your Mac when you were using it? Like maybe its speakers didn't quite loud enough? I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> <laughs> um, you turn it up. You so, so basically, I, I, I've i been in some situations where I've been playing music and I've been using just the built-in speakers because that's where I've been. That's the context I've had. I haven't been able to plug in speakers. And you just don't get quite enough out of them, right? It's They're not quite loud enough sometimes, uh, depending on the setting. So Boom 2 is a volume enhancement app by a company called Global Delight and what they do is they juice the sound right they they make the system get louder and so they have an offer for all of our listeners. You can log on to boom4mac.com. That's boomformac.com. That's B O O M F O R M A C.com. The app comes with a seven day trial period. You can use the entire app, and it includes audio effects. Once convinced, you can go ahead and buy it from boomformac.com. So you don't have to keep your ears waiting. Why don't you log on to boomformac.com now? That's interesting. I'm going I'm to use that. I'm going to give the trial a chance, and we're going to go ahead and listen to it and see how it works. You and I were talking before we started recording, Dan, about all of the different suppliers that are issuing forecasts linked to the iPhone 7.
0: Uh, well, TSMC was one of the most recent ones that we reported on. And they, I don't know if the company itself mentioned it, but um, a lot of these are analysts that are talking about what's happening. And the results that they posted, uh, future guidance, were related I believe by an analyst, to uh, be closely tied to iPhone 7 because that company is making all of the application processors and most of the... Um, I believe that all of the the Qualcomm chips that Apple is using, remember Qualcomm shifted away from TSMC and went to Samsung. However, that was only for um, newer products, I believe. And iPhone 7 is using the original parts... From Qualcomm that are made by TSMC, if I have that correct. So basically, TSMC is making all of the, you know, the biggest chips for iPhone Seven, um, and most of the new Android phones I believe are either being made by smaller Chinese fabs or by Samsung now. So most of the higher end phones that are made with Qualcomm chips, I believe, are made by Samsung. Maybe some mix that comes from other companies. So that kind of all points to. Uh, TSMC is having, getting a lot of their good news from the launch of iPhone 7. The, uh, the co-CEO, in, in the article we wrote, uh, he was talking about demand for high-end smartphones is continuing to improve. And that's, that goes completely opposite of what we've been hearing all year, was that no one's going to buy premium smartphones anymore, that everyone's kind of comfortable buying a $100 phone all of a sudden. And so there was kind of a lot of news about how Apple was going to be bearing the brunt of this backlash, where people aren't, aren't going to be buying high-end phones anymore. So that, a year later, almost, that doesn't appear to be have any of that has been true. Another thing um, related to supply chain orders, the further off ones, suppliers that, that supply a lot of companies, uh, one of them is Largon which I believe, don't they make the plastic lenses for everybody in, in the smartphone industry, basically? I'm not sure. I, I believe that's the case. Um, so they supply kind of everybody. And remember, I did a series of articles starting kind of last year, a year ago, where uh, kind of the Japanese equivalent to the Wall Street Journal, the Nikkei, published kind of strategically timed articles without a byline, that came out and said, Oh, the supplier chain looks really bad for Apple. And a couple of the things that they wrote, um, some of these reports were saying that Apple cut their supplies by thirty percent. And it's it's very difficult to look at the supply chain and know what's happening because Apple has multiple suppliers. And some of these suppliers that that have some, you know, real impact that they're reporting you can't specifically tell if they're talking about supplies being lower because Apple's ordering less or because Apple's getting it from somewhere else or because their other companies that they supply are dropping their forecasts so it's it's very easy to write about things and come up with a convincing story but that isn't really supported in any sort of solid truth and so in amidst all of these articles that we've been publishing recently talking about iPhone 7 being a very positive launch and at this point you know the, the strongest competitor to iPhone 7 in terms of premium phones and larger phones, is Samsung. And Samsung is right now going through one of the biggest crises we've ever seen in the smartphone industry. I mean, it's really bad. They've stopped production of their phones. They, a couple times, changed production to begin supplying people who already had had a defective phone. And this is across millions of units. And now they've canceled the thing outright. So this is like a huge interruption for Apple's, one of Apple's biggest competitors, and really the only other thing you can talk about is Google's Pixel. But Google's Pixel is limited to one carrier in the US. It's not that it only works on Verizon, but you can only buy it through Verizon. So if you want if you have a Or, or buy it directly through Google. Yeah, you, know, you can have a, a plan on T Mobile that you bring over your Pixel and they'll will let you use it, but they won't give you the same plan, you know, this preferred plan. So it is it is a very pretty severe restriction to be on one carrier in the United States. At this point and google has now relaxed all of the things that it said were bad about apple's iphone in terms of having one company control how things are done and updates and software and things like that so google is now doing a straight up iphone but it's not feature competitive with the iphone and google doesn't have nearly the reach that people think that they do i mean none of their the most popular nexus phone ever was a nexus 5 and it did not sell in huge quantities i believe it sold like five or six million So this is, you know, this is a very small thing that gets a lot of press, but Apple's biggest competitor is, you know, they got a a full face knockout and iPhone seven has been well received even before that. So, you know, the roads are kind of paved for Apple. It's kind of ideal circumstances. And we're hearing from clear uh, suppliers that they're very confident going into the future. And all of a sudden, here's a a Nikkei story published um, ironically yesterday at 420, but Uh, it was published. I saw it on Barron's and they just made sort of negative sounding comments about uh, how Taiwanese device uh, makers were under pressure and that Apple suppliers are the main culprits. I quoted a analyst here saying that iPhone sales could turn out to be slightly better than the extremely pessimistic view three months ago but saying that flagship smartphones are in a downtrend. The orders for the supply chain are quite conservative compared with a year ago. So grain of salt. We'll see if How accurate that is in the future? Because I've now seen two previous reports that I reported on from this from this news site that were clearly wrong. I mean, you could argue about whether it's right or right when they did the report, but afterward, it's like clearly what they predicted didn't happen. Well,
1: last year you reported on you reported this at the beginning of the year in January. Yeah, a similar story that was talking about criticizing the iPhone 6s and its supply right? The rumor was that supply cuts were going to damage the iPhone and that sales would drop by about, you know, the reduced output would drop by about 30%. And that was supposed to have happened in January or March of this year. And it it had no real relevance on overall iPhone demand or unit sales for either of those quarters. And if it had had any relevance at all, it pertained only to internal inventory adjustments, right?
0: Yeah, there's so many things that are going on. It's like, it's like looking at somebody on a ro- roller coaster and saying, "Oh, they're up now, they're down, now they're up." Down. That doesn't really tell you what how they're going to end up at the end of the course. They're going to end up at the station. You know, <laughs> they're going to end up where they got off. But on the way there, they're going up and down and around. And you know, you can report on all those things, but it's it's immaterial if you're really concerned about where they're where they're ending up. And the media loves to do that kind of stuff because there's so much drama involved in it. But particularly here, when you're talking about like like the the one that you're referencing, when you're talking about when you when you go out and report that. Sales are going to drop by a half, which is they said in the, the earlier, the I believe it was like two years ago. And then later they said uh, orders are going to be dropping by 30%. That could be the case. They could, it could be that Apple's inventory is going up and down. and in, in, So at one point, they're asking for a third less of a supply than they were previously. But that doesn't really tell you very much. And the problem is it gets interpreted by people who want to read it a, a specific way. And they came out saying that iPhones are going to be dropping by 30%. You know, Apple is going to be making and selling 30% fewer iPhones, which, of course, never happened.
1: People ought to learn
0: that the supply chain
1: production volume
0: rumors for iPhones are worthless, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've seen that over and over and over again. And and yet they keep coming out and keep having analysts drop news right when they want something to happen. That's, I mean, it's not an accident why they're doing it, but it is frustrating to see people pushing out headlines that are not true, or even sometimes they're they're factually true, but they're presented in a way that's either intentionally false or walking the user to a the reader to a false conclusion.
1: You know, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. You know, we, we're Apple Insider. We talk about rumors and we cover these things, but really, no no one should pay attention to these rumors.
0: Well, there's different kinds of rumors, but specifically the supply chain rumors. When you're talking about how many things are getting built, that's there's a lot of other rumors that we have written about, some of which are things like patents. You know, There's features that get patented that maybe Apple's going to use it, maybe they're not. And we've seen examples of both. But that's kind of a, a subject of interest to readers, I think, to see what's being researched and what's being documented in patents. Because that does give you an indication of a lot of the work that goes on that you don't necessarily see. Sometimes you don't necessarily see it right away. Sometimes it takes a while to Mm -hmm. become a product. Um, And sometimes it's just, there's a lot of work that gets done that doesn't ever result in a product, but it's still
1: interesting. I mean, now, before we move on to product and and those kinds of rumors, we published a report saying that supply chain reports, there we go again, claim that Apple will gain market share in 2016 and 2017, that the smartphone market will expand about 7%, uh, up to 16% with next year's phone. So do we believe this?
0: How how are we supposed to take this? Well, it it is interesting in the face of previous sort of consensus, even at the beginning of this year, was that smartphones were just not only reaching a plateau, but were tumbling downhill, and particularly high-end smartphones, and people are just going to stop using them. And I didn't see any factual basis for that when they were saying it, and I was refuting it, saying that this isn't really does not appear to be uh, solidly based. It appears to be people saying this because Apple has full control of the high end. So of course you're going to say the high end doesn't matter. And we haven't seen any evidence of that. We haven't seen people deciding that they don't no longer want to have a smartphone. And really, you know, they talk about smartphones going away or or being commoditized down into nothing. But smartphones are a combination of a whole lot of things that we used to carry. You know, a a lot of us carried a PDA. We frequently carried cameras. And had a phone and a music player and a lot of other devices that, you know, we didn't carry all the time, but are now done on your phone. And it even replaces a lot of time that you would spend on your computer a decade or so ago. So smartphones are a combination of things in a very convenient package. And they're gaining features. They're not we're not gonna distill them down to a simpler thing. And phones aren't primarily about being phones. They're mobile computers that we call smartphones. But most of what we do today is computing functions and using a network. And it's not primarily for voice calls. We're using data calls. I mean, voice calls are now data calls, but, um, a lot of what we're doing is messaging and FaceTime style messaging. And look at all the work that Apple's put into iMessage to, to make that a more engaging platform. So it's sticky. So that people stick with iPhones. So, a lot of the predictions that people are making are just clearly just way off base. And they're the reason that they're predicting those things is not because the facts sort of support that. It's because that's what they want to have happen. It's the same thing as you know IDC when they come out and say, oh, it looks like people are really trending towards two-in-one notebooks that look exactly like a Microsoft Surface. And it's like, well, we kind of understand why you are issued that press release. It's not because there's really evidence that people are buying a bunch of services. It's because you found a data point that you can turn into a story to say... Two-in-one sales are going up, but, you know, that's not actually the, where the trajectory of the market is going. We're not rushing to that Microsoft store to buy their product. That This is the PR that's trying to make that happen. So there's a difference between rumors and rumors.
1: Now, you were talking about devices and patents and how we can sort of see that patents, even though a particular invention may not make it into a product, they sort of show us the area that Apple's focusing on and where they're putting their attention into innovating. Sometimes they also acquire interesting things. For example, we we've talked a lot about the rumor of a MacBook with a uh, a touch capacitive uh, function row, right right? Recently they purchased a company I think based in Australia who makes a keyboard with e ink keys. right? Did you see that?:
0: I saw the reports of it i don't I don't know if that was actually true that they had acquired them.
1: Okay, Well, the report that I read,
0: and I'm just pulling it up right now. I saw there was a rumor about them talking about being acquired by Apple or in talks. And then uh, Telegraph UK published an article, I think today or last night, saying that uh, Tim Cook, who's traveling in China right now, visited these developers. Okay. But it's not clear if that's accurate or not. I asked Apple about it, but I haven't heard back. Okay. And they don't always say when, <laughs> when they've acquired something. but they, they don't
1: always respond right away either. Yes. You don't necessarily see that technology released just as it exists, just as it was. Um, that what you do is is you, you wait a generation of phone and you see that they incorporate it in a different way. That they take some base underlying technology and reuse that in a new and interesting way that wasn't there before. Yeah. You know, the way that I think about this is going way back to the acquisition of TouchWorks. You remember this? You know, TouchWorks, years ago, they made a keyboard that replaced a G4 PowerBooks keyboard, and it had a little ribbon cable that went off to the side and plugged it to the USB. And it was yeah. a touch-capacitive keyboard that you could do multi-touch on on your laptop. And this, this thing became what powers the touchscreen in the iPhone. And people who saw this didn't realize that, okay, if you take this solid thing that's meant for a laptop and repurpose it and put it behind a screen and make it transparent, which is a lot of work. Right, yeah that you suddenly get a pocket computer that's touchscreen, but Apple did.
0: I think there were capacitive, you know, capacitive t- uh, technology was there before, but what was missing was a lot of the analysis in terms of when you put your finger on the screen. <clears throat> it's not like a stylus where you could where triangulate the specific point where the stylus was touching. Um, when you touch a, a screen with your finger... You're either hitting it with the whole pad, so you're you're hitting a whole area. And also when you do gestures, when you swipe or you a variety of things that you can smear your finger around the screen, it's really hard to for a computer to know what you're trying to do. And it has to be done really quickly and it has to be done accurately and, and predictably, or it doesn't feel right. And so I think a lot of the work I don't know if they actually acquired that what, Touchworks that company, or I think they kind of acquired
1: the people they bought they they bought got, Touchworks and bought the i p and and acquired the people as well.
0: yeah, some control over the technology, but anyway, that the technology that they were acquiring wasn't necessarily capacity of touch screens, but it was the gestures of how to translate sloppy human fingers with you know um, kind of a design language of how it's going to work. Well, and it was also the,
1: the multiple right. fingers at a time kind right. of thing. To be able to handle touch typing was, uh, was a feat that had not been done before. And that's why it's Android for many
0: years didn't it. do that, because they were afraid of, they knew it was patented technology. <clears throat> and then after a while, it got to the point where, you know, Samsung was getting away with being able to do whatever they wanted to do, and the courts were just not responding for so many years. It took them years to get the to go to court and then Apple brought all these patents and the court said oh we can only hear about four of those and we're going to allow Samsung to go out and buy patents so that it's an equal fight so that you both look like you're infringing technology so it's just such a clown show in the courts that they basically gave Apple's technology to everybody else to, to, to have that that's when Google really embraced it on Android and made Android much more like the iPhone than it was originally. Originally it had like a little trackball on it and a uh, keyboard. Yeah. What well, was a BlackBerry? But it wasn't actually. just a shift in, hey, we should yeah. copy Apple, not BlackBerry. It was a shift in, I think we can just steal their technology because nothing's going to happen. And we're giving it away so they can't sue us for money. We're, we're seeing sort of the, uh, this play out
1: in the courts now, right? There's, a, there's Samsung and Apple before the Supreme Court. And the, the court's expected to hand down a decision sometime in, in June of next year. But it looks as if the court is focusing around the issue of creating and instating rules to adjudicate future litigation. They're, they're a little less concerned in how design patent laws impact the case, even though that's what this case is about. Samsung is, is arguing that damages should, be, damages should be assigned based on just the part or portion of profits that can be attributed to the infringing part. So they're saying that the, the design of the phone is the only thing that should be assessed for the damages, and it shouldn't be against the whole phone.
0: And yeah, I well, the opposite I mean, the kind of things way. that they're arguing was, you know, these were so, these cases were so old. I believe it was from 2011. I mean, it's like five years old now. It's kind of ancient stuff. I mean, one of them was a swipe to unlock, which Apple's not even using anymore in iOS 10. But the fact that my, that Samsung very clearly copied it and they documented that they were copying it because it worked better than what they were trying to do on their own. Their whole argument that they didn't copy was clearly not true. And so now they have to say, "Oh well, sure we copied it, but shouldn't be able to." First of all, the, first of all, they wanted to stop to any sales ban on on ongoing phones until they were they didn't matter anymore. And they successfully, basically, didn't. They successfully ran around wasting time until the injunctions wouldn't matter anymore. So they got they did that successfully, and now they're saying, "Well, we shouldn't even have to pay for." lost profits because this was one feature on the phone and it wasn't the only reason people bought her copycat phones. And you know, the fact that Apple can only bring like four or five patents at a time means that it's just impossible to sue a company like Samsung, who's just stealing dozens and dozens and dozens of your, of everything, every feature on your phone. And then they say, Oh, well you only won one of these after four or five years. And it doesn't represent the whole phone. I mean, it's just such a, a bizarre clown show that this is still going on. But yeah, that's where they're at right now. Because it is a big... Yeah. And, and conversely, Samsung did the opposite. I mean, so Samsung has some technology that they have patents on related to uh, mobile technology or mobile wireless. And they licensed it to Inf- Infineon, which is now part of Intel. Apple bought chips from that company for their mobile broadband. Up to iPhone 4, something like that, 4S, uh, when they switched over to Qualcomm, and Samsung was suing for patents that that already licensed to the company that sold the chips to Apple. So it was already technology that they didn't. Yeah, there was no infringement there, and they they were trying to create this thing where how so, somehow Apple was responsible for technology that was already licensed in the products that they were buying these off the shelf components. And Samsung was saying, you know, basically we want to apply this significant uh, penalty that's much more than the cost of the chip was. And so they're, they're extremely hypocritical in what they're arguing. I mean, they're just, they're just arguing any direction they possibly can. Yeah. And as I'm looking at this, it's,
1: it seems like they're arguing any way they can that basically they should pay less. That, that if and if they still have to pay, that they should pay a fraction right. of what's been assessed for them so far the interesting thing is that if you read the transcripts that the justices are not specifically focused on the details of this case as much as what precedents should be for the future what jury instructions should be because they're they're trying to come up with a way that they don't have to hear this kind of case again that when it comes up to the courts again that a juror is going to understand how to determine what's going on properly. And they're struggling with this, right? They're, you know, in, in the transcripts, the justices are trying to, because it's a design-based case, they're, they're talking about, instead of the phones, they're talking about, you know, a distinctive designed product like the Volkswagen Beetle. So they're saying if the Beetle was a stroke of genius, a design that was done on, from, from pen to completion in three days, should they only be assessed three days worth of damages yep. for infringing? Or, or should it be, you know, more than that because the engine took 100,000 days? And it's an interesting question that they're reaching at, right? What is, what is attributable to the, the success of a product? Is it the design? And if it is the design, should you just charge for that one component
0: or is it the total thing? Because well, Samsung thing is kind of, the kind of the like the origin. They, they come in and Apple's of course, not the first company. They've done this to, they did it to Panasonic. They did it to, I mean, everyone in the industry, they've come in and just swarmed with a copycat product and stolen their stuff, and disregarded patents, and they have a lot of support at home in the government because they are such a huge, it's not like a big company, it's like a network of companies, and there's a tremendous amount of um, corruption between them and the government.
1: Well, they're so large that it's it's a Korean version of too big to fail, Right they they have all of their heavy industry tied up with samsung they're they're not just a maker of phones and appliances and white goods that we see here in the us they also make automobiles they make military equipment they make pretty much everything and so if you damage that company first of all you're damaging cultural honor right because it's so closely tied and associated with with being so large there it's it's a national interest and you're you're also stand to harm the whole South. yeah i mean this and is part of it um, samsung.
0: And, and samsung is more than just making products too they i think they sell insurance and you know, it's just they just do everything and specifically i mean smartphones were back in 2000 between like 2010 when they started copying to around 2014 uh smartphones were a big part of samsung's profit center and increasingly that's i mean iphone 6 did the most damage more than any lawsuits but, and then also there's just kind of like this nagging competition from China to where Samsung used to sell quite a bit to China. And now it's like, there's just no market for it because there's, there's plenty of commodity phones that you can get for cheaper. Whereas Apple had a very different product and sold it very differently in China. And it was, a, you know, Apple Apple only sells premium phones. Samsung sells a lot of things. And, you know, part of that is a premium phones where they get the most money. But to have a decrease in the premium phones... tremendous decrease from iphone 6 that continued for three years now and then to be hit with the note 7 thing even before the note 7 blew up uh there was a pretty significant problem happening within profitability in phones because they give away so much to sell a phone and their their average selling prices are going down so a lot of Samsung's profitability actually comes outside of phones. It comes from selling parts to other phone makers and from selling displays and a variety of other things that are doing better than smartphones have. So I don't think the government is like backing up, the South Korean government is backing up Samsung's smartphones as much as they are just allowing the company to do kind of whatever it wants to do. And the same thing happens in China, where um, intellectual property doesn't really have the same, there's not the same culture of protecting that. But that's now happening in the United States where you know, intellectual property has always been kind of a big part of the United States' ability to be a world leader and to stay a world leader because we're developing technology and building into products and there's protection under law so that somebody else can't just come out and copy it. And there are some problems with that. I mean, if you look at you know, drug companies and stuff, it's very difficult to come up with a new drug. It's very expensive. And then once they do, you have this life-saving drug that solves a problem that nobody else knows how to do, and they want to charge money for it. And so people look at that, and it's like, oh, that's an ethical dilemma. We should allow all these other companies to copy this drug that they spent so much money working on.
1: But what what happens is that there are tons of research and tons of work on making new drugs, let's continue the example, that are not successful, right? They, they pour huge amounts of into money, into things that don't go anywhere, and so the one time they do have something that works, they have to recover costs, not just right. for the, um, the one that's successful, but also to have paid for all of the work that was, that was essentially useless. Yeah, they not only need to subsidize
0: things that, their things that didn't work out, like you're talking about, they also need to have money left over to be able to come up with the next new drug to keep the thing going. So Apple is very, Apple's business model is very much like a drug company in terms of that they're constantly doing research. Some of it doesn't pan out, but they're very focused in the research that they're doing to come up with new products in the future that people are going to want to buy. And other companies, in the tech industry particularly, are like uh, pill farmers or pill makers that are looking at what Apple does and trying to just copy it. And there's there's some efforts to do kind of innovative things, but a lot of what we've seen outside of Apple has not been successful for years and years and years. So it's like things like, you know, they're making such a big deal about 3d screens on cell phones a few years ago and then it was curved screens everybody needed a curved screen I, I didn't really understand why that was important but they convinced everyone in the media to be talking about curved screens all these they have curved screens and when is apple going to come out with a curved screen it's like what is the benefit so you can lay it down and it doesn't lay flat on a table i don't get it but there's there's so many examples of that and, and right now there's the um the VR thing, which I think VR is going to be interesting at some point, but right now I don't. I think it's kind of like 3D television where it's the kind of thing where you put on glasses and it's kind of cool for 15 minutes and then you want to not do it anymore. That's my experience with 3D television, and everyone that's come over to my house, it's like, hey, check out these 3D glasses. And they're like, 15 minutes is like, okay, let's. Let's just watch it regular. The the issue with the
1: television, right? And this is something I, I go to CES every year. And at CES, you always see all the new televisions. And what happens is television used to be a product that, you know, they, they made a new one every year. But the new one every year was largely a lot like the one from the previous year, right? When we had tube televisions, analog TV, before we had the HDTV switchover, a TV was pretty much a TV. But
0: you had fancy features. You had, like, the on and, like, the…
1: Sometimes they were bigger, yeah. Sometimes they were smaller, they were Trinitron, but there, there was differentiation. But largely, you bought a TV, you kept it for 10 years or more, right? In, in those days, if you bought a television, you kept it until it broke, at least. Yeah, so
0: there's something tremendously better, and there wasn't tremendously better things right. coming out, so.
1: Yeah, and, and there frequently wasn't anything tremendously better, and and so the, the life cycle of buying a TV was that you bought one and kept it for a, a substantial amount of time, and that if you bought a new one, you bought it because your old one broke and it wasn't cost-effective to repair, or because you wanted something significantly larger. You wanted these new features, but it wasn't at every, you know, there was not a buying cycle where everyone went out and bought a fresh new TV every year, or every two years, the way people buy phones, right? And so at CES, the push has been TV manufacturers trying to figure out a model where they can get people to throw out their TV every couple of years and buy a fresh new one. And so it was, uh, first it was everyone moving from 720p to 1080p. Then it was thin screen frames. Then it was 3D TV. Then it was the refresh rate moving from 60 hertz to 120 hertz or even 240 hertz, Right. And then it was everyone trying to move to curved screens and 4K. And next next year, it's going to be 8K probably, right? They are keep chasing what's it going to take to get people to buy TVs more frequently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the pace of technology and the productization of things, because the market is much larger now, um, I think the pace is faster. I don't know how much difference there is in how long people keep their televisions. I mean, do you buy a television every year? Hell no. I haven't bought a television. I mean, I know television isn't central to my existence, but I haven't bought a television since 2010. (laughs) Now, Dan, I want to talk to you a little bit about
1: some, uh, some patents and things about the 2017 iPhone. So Mikey wrote a story on our site about Apple patenting a method for embedding light sensors directly into device displays. And what he's suggesting is that Embedding light sensors directly into the display is a step towards getting rid of the chin and forehead bezel. Yeah, we talked about that last week, too. We, we yeah. did, although he wrote about the patent this week. This is just one of more thing in on the march to getting a phone that doesn't have the forehead bezel, right?
0: Um, I don't, I don't. I'm not pulling up the article immediately in my head, but was it talking about integrating a camera or a fingerprint sensor or kind of both? This one is about
1: light-generating layers that are a part of the substrate of the display. And by having light sensors integrated directly into the display, they can sense proximity, sense the the light ambience around it, and have it be built in so you don't have to have the chin and forehead separately. Um, They're also talking about the idea that you could have a TFT layer in which sensors are embedded directly into the TFT layer of the screen. Uh, but basically, in in any scenario within the patent, and of course, patents address a couple scenarios more because they want to try and cover as widely as possible. Uh, the the sensors are placed within the display itself, not above it, as it is the case currently in the iPhone and the pa- iPad and Mac.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. They still have a earpiece which you're
1: going to have to put somewhere. That is true. There's some. Um, this is all about sensors, and it doesn't mention anything about the earpiece.
0: There is some interesting ideas about you know without having any specialized knowledge of how any of this works on a really low level, it's very easy to say, oh, you could take the fingerprint sensor and put it into the display and the camera also. And what's sort of interesting, I mean, part of that is like, when I first read about integrating basically camera sensors within the display part of sensor, it's kind of one of the th- those things where you're like, oh, well, I wouldn't have thought to do that, but that's kind of an interesting idea. I wonder how that actually works in, in, in actual... Uh, production Um, but another example that we're already seeing is on the camera within the camera there's focus pixels so it's it's pixels that instead of um, creating an image they are helping to focus what the camera is interpreting and seeing so there's a lot of a lot of technical directions that can happen that aren't necessarily easy to predict and it's not like a an obvious thing of we have to get this, we have to get this, and we have to get this, and now we're done to where we don't have a chin and bezel. Could also be that the the phone starts taking on a, a different shape where we don't use it the same way. Um, one sort of example of that is not exactly changing the shape of the phone, but the idea of having a watch where you get some of your most important things with a glance of your wrist instead of pulling out a phone and putting it up to your ear or looking at it. And then also with coming with AirPods, being able to sort of talk and interact with a phone, even if you're not looking at it. So in addition to the changing of the phone itself, it may be that the role of the phone is changing, where it's becoming almost like a server in the background that you stow away on your person somewhere. And then you 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 have a conversation with Siri or a conversation with whoever you're talking to. And um, you're looking at, status reports and things on your wrist that you don't have to fully pull out your phone to, to check on. So there's a whole lot of kind of interesting directions that the phone is going in right now. One of the other patents that
1: Mikey wrote about is the idea of a super-resolution multi-sensor camera using cube prisms. And the diagram that I'm looking at...
0: Is that like the periscope kind of idea where it splits up the...
1: It is the periscope idea. It's it's exactly the periscope where what they've got is, um, is, is is what you say, a periscope. But because there are now more sides as opposed to just focusing on a sensor placed at the end, you can add the additional sensor coverage on the sides of the thing as well. And their goal is to capture more information for the camera in the same amount of physical space.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting idea. And then it's also kind of, I saw a previous one where they were showing sort of a similar arrangement to basically create a tunnel of mirrors so that you could have um, more larger, longer optics for shaping the light mm-hmm. before it hits the sensor. Because there's there's only so many things you can do in a very slim assortment of lens covers in a phone that's that thin. Right, and photography is based upon light. So Yeah, so if you can bend around a corner and send it down a hallway, and that's an interesting idea as well. And also there's the idea of having multiple sensors. I mean, we're already seeing that with the iPhone 7 Plus, having... Two cameras that kind of work in conjunction with each other, but having having even mo- more sensors that do specific things. There's a bunch of Android phones. Most of the Android phones that I've seen that, that use two camera sensors, one is color and the other is high-resolution black and white. And the idea is to that uh, the luminance information, the, the structure, the black and white detail is more important than the resolution of color because colors you know it's kind of like taking a, a really sharp picture so, so they'll capture all the detail information
1: with black and white and then use the color map from the, yeah. the color camera to colorize the black and white
0: photo that's kind of the idea I think um, I haven't I haven't seen the actual results of it and it, it sounded like it wasn't as good of a th- thing I mean in, in practice but it's you know like an interesting idea and of course there's a lot of other ways you could uh use multiple cameras to do interesting things. There's that, um, it's a low resolution. I believe it's an IR camera that you can plug into your phone and take heat map pictures of things. And so the resolution isn't very high, but it's a different kind of, that's the FLIR one. What's that? Yeah. That's
1: called the FLIR one. F L I R one. Yeah. Yeah. I have one of those. And, and what they're doing is, is they capture the infrared information with the cameras on its device and then overlay that on top of the camera information used from the, the camera that's built into the phone. Yeah.
0: So if you had multiple sensors looking at different parts of the spectrum and putting them together, you could do some really cool stuff. Now, last week, you and I
1: talked about the idea of the phone being made out of ceramic zirconia. Right. And I was really hot on the idea. I thought it sounded like a great thing. And and in the interview week, I've had a thought, and I want to, to hear you tell me. I mean... I I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how much Apple's invested in aluminum. Right, they have tons and tons and tons of CNC machines going, turning out iPhone enclosures by the hour. And to change away from that to a, a what is a slower process to make the the ceramic cases doesn't make as much sense to me as it did last week.
0: Yeah, that would be a huge shift, and, and which, with well, what and, benefit? I mean. The most obvious detriment is that it's taking longer and it's heavier. Um, on the watch, it sort of is interesting and sort of makes sense to say here's a you know a, a high performance kind of product for for you to wear on your wrist that's sort of luxurious. But for a phone that everyone's carrying a phone, a mass market phone seems to make less sense to me. I could see other wearables, and I could see even you know having like part you know perhaps a high end phone. I think Apple's sort of experimenting with the idea of luxury electronics because, especially when they first came out with the iPhone six, and there was the six and the six plus, and the six plus was selling. I think it was around ten percent of sales. It was a, a minority purchase, and with the success, it was bigger. And now with the six, with the seven and the seven plus, I think it's close to tied. I mean, I, I saw some information. It looked like it was. I mean, the, the seven. S plus is a real big draw. I mean, in large part because of the camera, Um, but Apple could um, in the future, I don't know if it's going to be next year, but I mean, they could come out with a, there was sort of a rumor about a pro a phone pro, you know, Um, but if there's a market for that, you could sell a higher end device that had even more, you know, capabilities that cost more because it's more difficult to make. And so I could see using exotic materials on something like that. But for for the phone that they're making, seventy million of in certain quarters, that would be a tall order to jump to some exotic material just kind of for breaking rates. It would have to be some offer some huge uh, leap over what aluminum is doing right now.
1: And 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 just
0: you know having
1: built up all that infrastructure and all of that equipment in order to make this manufacturing seems like it doesn't make sense to to discard it quickly, right? They they are probably the biggest. CNC machining user on the planet. It's, I'm just I'm having a harder time figuring out how they would go to the longer process that doesn't really take advantage of that
0: infrastructure they built. Yeah, they have been installing billions of dollars worth of equipment in in their suppliers. I kind of wish they'd get back to liquid metal. A lot of the contracts that's that's what it involves is Apple is buying robots yeah. and devices for them, so they're like helping them with the capital costs of building out production ca- capacity because it's difficult and dangerous to just. Re- rely on other suppliers to build things because if somebody else comes up and wants you know a ton of ram for something then that impacts your costs but if you're building your parts on your own then you have much more control over the supply
1: i I need to look at the liquid metal i I remember that they purchased the rights to use liquid metal we haven't really seen a whole lot come to fruition from that but i i like to think that it still holds promise.
0: My other idea that we're talking about materials, Apple's been working with a lot of different materials, especially with the watch, and it's kind of you know it's what are they doing all that for? I think part of it is sort of creating a lure on the watch, but it could also be that they're they're monetizing uh, the research into materials for other things that they plan to build in the future, like say cars, you know, using a lot of the same materials. so having, the ability to machine and develop different um, different kinds of parts—that's uh, that's kind of a, a core thing you need to know how to do. And Apple's been spending many years figuring how to do this kind of stuff. It's not like they just come up with a design and send it to Taiwan to get mass produced, which is you know that's basically what BlackBerry did for their tablet. It's what Amazon did—they reused the BlackBerry. It's what um, Google and Microsoft have been doing for their stuff. So they don't really, on their own, have a lot of material science where Apple does. And they've been, you know, they've been whittling out titanium and aluminum MacBooks since before they were called MacBooks. And the tremendous volumes of iPods that were built using kind of innovative new ways to, to build cases and install electronics and things. And I think Apple Watch, I've written before about Apple Watch as kind of a continuation of the iPod being the sort of small device, sort of practical application for a computer that you carry along with you. And of course, with the iPhone and iPads and new Macs, the the Mac Pro that they haven't done anything with for several years now, they originally worked with automotive suppliers to build that because people who built parts for car makers knew how to build the kind of case that they wanted to build. Well, Dan, let's go ahead and wrap
1: this up for our listeners. Is there anything else we should discuss? I can't think of anything. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. Uh, Dan, where can people find
0: you on the internet? I'm writing on Apple Insider and I tweet from daniel aaron e-r-a-n and i'm also uh doing the apple insider underscore official instagram you can check us out there excellent well if you've
1: enjoyed listening to this podcast and and you found that you took advantage of the deals and found that they were useful please consider leaving us a positive review on itunes we do appreciate it and thank you for listening this far all the way through uh if if i do my homework on liquid metal and dan starts at roughlydrafted.com we'll tell you all about it next week on the apple insider podcast